So today we're going to complete the read-through commentary of the Gospel of Thomas uh, from three sources, Marvin Meyer, Thomas Lambden, and I believe Andrew Bernhardt's Interlinear. Um, we ended at, a, at uh, saying 108, and so this time we start at saying 109. And uh, the full um, Nag Hammadi Coptic fragment text ends at saying 114. So we're really right at the end here. And then I will do a little bit of review uh, and we'll consider some other things for the future. Um, so let's just jump in Meyer to Lambden to Interlinear. 109. Meyer. Yeshua said, The kingdom is like a person who had a treasure hidden in his field. He did not know it, and when he died, he left it to his son. The son did not know about it. He took over the field and sold it. The buyer was plowing and found the treasure, and began to lend money at interest to whomever he wished. <laughs> Perhaps this is a... Um, subtle reference to the, the Jews or the Sanhedrin, the Jewish orthodoxy that were involved in usury. 109, Lambden, Jesus said, The kingdom is like a man who had, the, had a treasure, a hidden treasure in his field without knowing it. After he died, he left it to his son. The son did not know about the treasure. He inherited the field and sold it. And the one who, brought, who bought it went plowing and found the treasure. He began to lend money and interest to whomever he wished. Uh, and so the kingdom, these are, you know, there are many analogies for the kingdom of heaven within, or all as the kingdom of heaven, also called the sovereignty, uh, which could be called, um, it's not a place, it's not a um, hierarchical, well, it may be hierarchical, but it's not a tyranny. <laughs> the king's tyrannical autocratic rule, it's really a realm, it's the realm of gnosis, or the um, awareness that, uh, the awareness associated with gnosis, uh, associated with salvation, associated with um, knowing God the Father uh, within and without, associated with being inscribed in the Book of the Living, the testamentary book of the living, uh, that inscription, uh, that um, development of awareness, but it's not just knowing something. It's not simply, oh, all is one, I read it and I believe it. Or, oh, the teacher said, uh, my father's in heaven and I've got to do this to get there, okay, I'll just follow along and mouth it. No, it's transformation of being. It's transformation of the self, mind-body-spirit complex, seven chakras, particularly um, the awakened heart. The kingdom of heaven is the awakened um, mind-heart, the integration or, or some degree of integration of mind and spirit, or the unity known by higher self, all is one, all is the one life of the one infinite, Knowing that, that spiritual awareness brought into mind, 
from spirit to mind, head to heart, heart, mind, blue-green center, with activation of blue-green, fourth-fifth chakra, meaning um, kindness, goodness, virtue, care, harmlessness, and wisdom, discernment, knowing, truth, communication, uh, understanding. Uh, living the spiritualized heart-mind life, living a life of uh, spiritualized heart-mind awareness. And then, of course, that translates into how we live in the world or relate to others. One can say that's the kingdom. It's the kingdom within, associated with one's own transformation of energy consciousness, seven chakra energies, consciousness associated with love wisdom that then <laughs> is like a man who had the hidden treasure in his field without knowing it so number one you have a father a man who's the father of the son he has a hidden treasure what is the hidden treasure the hidden treasure is that people are sub sub logoi the divine spark within what is the divine spark within well it's the fact that you are a seven chakra, body, mind, spirit, multidimensional uh, being, beingness, um, whose essential identity or life is one with with the source of all. You are the you are God too. All is God, not just you. All, all is God. All is the true. All is God. Everyone is God. Sinitiyananda means true identity is source my identity your identity the identity the true nature of all is its source which is god one infinite creator um parabrahman or uh, associated with satchitananda and so the uh, true nature is its true source identity um, that's the hidden treasure in the field I'd say. The hidden treasure is uh, one's intrinsic, the intrinsic divinity or God nature of all. And when one knows that, uh, one knows that by sixth and seventh chakra activation. Then Ra, as Ra said, that's seeing the hallowed nature, the consecrate nature of everyday things. Look around you, see the Creator. Look at other people, beings, animals, in the mirror, objects, see the Creator. That is cultivating awareness of the reality that all is the true nature of all right now all form is its source the Heavenly Father one infinite creator infinite intelligence that's I'd say the hidden treasure in the field of materiality in the field of apparent materiality and we don't know it <laughs> so we identify with mind and body as Ramana Maharshi said and all sorts of great teachers say um, Nityananda, all everybody knows. The, 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 the source of uh, samsara is misidentification of being with form. The forms of body and bodily desire, the forms of mind or mental process, thirst for becoming, and even the form of uh, freedom from form or formlessness as um, higher realms attachment, attachment, thirst for non-becoming. So... <laughs> The hidden treasure is our own divine nature or essential identity as source or source identity 
that is one with all. And that is what we don't know. But it's no the knowing is not simply um, an intellectual get the point, but transformation of seven chakra energy fields, energies, and consciousness awareness, and living it. You can fake it, but any seer will know you're faking it. Then this person, this father, dies and leaves it to his son. So there's continuity, there's transfer of this reality to each successive generation. Each successive generation has the same hidden treasure reality that <laughs> um, all is one. And your true nature is the nature of God, which is the nature of all. That reality as a hidden treasure in the field of materiality or mind-body um, is uh, multi-generational. Multi it's progressive generational. Generationally progressive. Everybody gets it. It's the truth for everyone in every generation of father, mother, children, and on and on. And <laughs> succeeding generations don't know it either. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Humanity today, right here at the end of 3D, doesn't know much that it didn't know 2,000 years ago or 12,000 years ago in Atlantis, still don't know, then the son or each successive generation inherits this reality, the hidden treasure of divinity or the sacred being nature, and sold it. <laughs> or um, basically prostitute ourselves and our uh, mind being or our mind-body-spirit complex our divinity um, is sold for a pittance, 30, uh, 30 pieces of silver or a few shekels. Um, we uh, give our mind and attention and will and our values and our priorities to the worldly, to the aggrandizement of uh, the false sense of self or the empty sense of self called ego, or to uh, embellishing the body uh, or you know maintaining sensual pleasures and sensuality or wealth I watched the movie Razor's Edge book from Somerset Mom last night great movie 1946 spent uh, with uh, Tyrone Power and um, uh, beautiful actress I forgot her name beautiful woman um, anyway the, the Razor's Edge basically um, about uh, a, a seeker in uh, born to a wealthy society who finds it um, you know finds the values of um, upper-class society um, materialism simply in inadequate to satisfy his need for meaning and peace and value in life and so each successive generation follows along and sell themselves with their hidden treasure to the um, short-term benefits and gains of worldly um, acquisition or worldly ambition. And so each generation, you know, forgets who they are and um, devotes their themselves and prioritizes um, body-mind um, accumulation by, you know, the same mistaken body-mind identification. I am body-mind. One life to live. Then, um, this is sort of offered and eventually this same uh, multi-generational forgetting 
um, ends up finding uh, ends up with some negatively oriented folks who will find the treasure or come to know it um, and then exploit it or exploit humans for their own gain exploit people uh, service to self way of control and domination is akin to lending money at interest uh, and um, certainly it's an allusion allusion to the Jews around Yeshua but more so um, to I to say the, the, the exploitation uh, human exploitation of others of people um, social intergenerational multi-generational multicultural exploitation of the strong and clever over the weaker and less clever uh, and use others for their own gain typical uh, taking advantage on the service cell path so we go to the interlinear I really will finish this the five <laughs> even though I can yak yak about each one of these there there's so much to say really uh, interlinear Bernhard says Yeshua the sovereignty it is like a person did have he in his field a treasure it is hidden he being not aware of it and after was caused his death did he bequeath it to his son was the son aware not did he take that field did he sell it forth and he who did purchase it did he come he plows did he find the treasure did he begin to lend money at the usury to those who he desires them you can say he's lending money to whoever he wants you can say he's also lending money to those he's wished to take to exploit and take advantage of so taking advantage of the hidden treasure and the ignorant humanity that doesn't know its hidden treasure the Jews who are you know associated with supremacism or um, tied to Orion the false Yahweh the Orion 4d negative co-optation of true Yahweh those who follow the the way of service of self of any religion certainly today or throughout history are akin to those who are aware of the divinity of humanity and um, keep uh, have, have determined how to keep humans from finding out their own divinity and that's what uh, you know <laughs> that's what human civilization has been for thousands of years has uh, included um, great efforts to keep humanity from discovering its own divine nature the corruption of all religions the commercialization of society the corruptions of honesty in academia shitty translators translators who are trained that honesty is unimportant or honesty um, <laughs> accuracy should be limited because what people are stupid you don't want to confuse them okay I don't want to confuse you either but I'm more concerned with accuracy um, aren't you and actually many are not I believe Augustine or one of the church fathers um, had a treatise on um, when it's necessary to lie the value of lying and as we just talked about this book called biography of Satan um, many church fathers embroidered embellished added on to changed and concocted by themselves um, the mythology of Satan devil and all that uh, 
um, according to what they thought would pull people in and uh, gain converts to the new religion. No honesty is necessary. Their agenda is to save souls um, according to how they felt it should be done. And so this is akin to exploiting people um, for your own gain. <laughs> the gain of the church, you can say it's only for your own good. But um, there's a lot of explo exploitation um, of those with power over those uh, without power or with lesser power uh, so as to keep them from turning within or finding their own divinity or uh, developing independent thought, right? In the movie They Live, one of the themes uh, that uh, he saw was no independent thought. And so um, there is, uh, th this is sort of the deliberate um, exploitation of human ignorance for the benefit of those who themselves don't want to make use of the treasure or develop their um, love, unity, reality, divinity, but would rather um, make uh, use of people and keep them ignorant uh, and and use them as, you know, cattle, uh, Gentile, or, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the followers of the elite of any religion, of any group. So that's been going on, and that could be called an exploitation of the ignorance of humanity that doesn't know its own divine nature. One ten, Yeshua said, You who have found the world and become wealthy, renounce the world. And Lambdon, Jesus said, Whoever finds the world and becomes rich, let him renounce the world. And so this whole notion of worldly, worldly really means um, identified with body-mind, and prioritizing the value, material values, material social values, the worldly um, civilization, the ways of the the ways of the foolish man, as Misty in Roots sang, my friend, uh, the wise and the foolish, the foolish builds his house on sand, civilization, the ways of the foolish man indeed uh, obscuring the the buried treasure of your divine nature um, that few want to see and those who know generally um, keep it from others to exploit and uh, take advantage of those who can't see and so the worldly way is basically um, the love of money it's not simply money, the root of evil, but the love of money as the root of evil, or the love and prioritization, the top valuation of body-mind, comfort of the body, um, social position, you know, the, the pleasant worldly wins. Uh, pleasure, material gain, including financial, praise and acclaim and honor and... Um, position and status in society, the, the way of the lower triad. 110, interlinear, says Yeshua, he who did find the cosmos, the world system, and he became person of wealth, let him renounce the world system. And so, generally, cosmos, to me, looks like a higher dimensional 
or indicates higher dimensional, but it has been used obviously here uh, for the lower triad world of uh, body-mind, the world of 3D space-time only, the world of the materialist, the world of physicality, um, the five senses, and um, associated with um, seeking and valuing most highly the four positive, uh, pleasant worldly winds. Physical pleasure of all sort, eating, drinking, sex, uh, you know, substances, the best wine, um, you know, and luxury, physical luxury for the body, beds, soft beds. And uh, uh, gain, material gain, financial gain, accumulation, and praise, um, acclaim, fame, and honor, or high position and privilege in society. That's about all that <laughs> the worldly offers. And that seems more like the worldly rather than the cosmos, but this world cosmos, um, interestingly, seems to have been applied to the worldly originally as well. So, he who finds it and you become wealthy, uh, drop it. And so the notion, uh, easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Um, it's not the rich man, it's the man who loves wealth. It's the lover of self and the lover of materiality. The lover, the one who loves materiality. Gain, pleasure, position, fame, acclaim. That one will keep repeating in third density, on and on and on. Generally, yeah. <clears throat> One eleven. Yeshua said, "The heavens and earth will roll up in your presence." This is um, uh, Meyer. Yeshua said, "The heavens and earth will roll up in your presence, and you who live from the living one will not see death." Doesn't Yeshua say this? Whoever has found oneself of that person, the world is not worthy. Mm. 111 Lambden, Jesus said, The heavens and the earth will be rolled up in your presence, and the one who lives from the living one will not see death. Does not Jesus say, Whoever finds himself is superior to the world? And so, um, whoever has found oneself, um, whoever has found oneself, uh, Whoever finds himself, what does it mean to find yourself? Well, to discover your true divine identity, or your true divine nature. Divine nature equals real identity, equals identity or unity with the source of all. Which is basically, you know, <laughs> all is one. The law of one, the reality of one, the reality of unity, the reality of um, the infinite sacred then uh, that one surely is superior to the worldly. Now, the worldly is the way of uh, loving body-mind, the way of self-cherishing, the way of the rich men of the world, the way of uh, attachment to the worldly winds, or the pleasurable worldly winds, uh, highest valuation put upon pleasure and gain and praise, and honor, acclaim, and fame, and fortune, and pleasure. 
highest value put upon that is the worldly, uh, the way of the worldly man, the way of civilization. And uh, this is akin to building your house on sand. And um, finding divinity is superior to that um, distorted um, value and um, life purpose. The life purpose of material accumulation is inferior morally, metaphysically, potentially, and in terms of long-term consequence, is inferior to the work of finding your soul and um, joining the lower to the higher, realizing <laughs> that materiality is not the whole story. And so finding yourself is superior to the world, and the one who finds him herself in, in many ways could be called superior to the world. But all is one. Uh, 111 from Lambden, I'm sorry, from uh, Bernard Interlinear, says Yeshua, The heavens shall be rolled up and the earth in your presence forth, and he who lives from in him who lives, he shall see not death nor fear. Wherefore Yeshua, wherefore Yeshua says it, yeah, it's a little confused. He who finds himself, self, him, the world system, is worthy of him not. That's why we do need translators. Um, the heavens <clears throat> shall be rolled up, and the earth in your presence forth, <clears throat> meaning um, the rolling up of heavens and earth, in, in some ways I think is um, the recognition that materiality is inferior to spiritual awakening. Materiality is fine, but materialism as a way of life is inferior in terms of long-term welfare and benefit. <laughs> it's inferior in terms of uh, the long-term welfare and benefit you're going to get from chasing fame and fortune. If you want to do, go right ahead. But the long-term welfare and benefit is scant. And in fact, you're going to tangle in with negative tendency and Karmic, uh, karmic entanglement. So, the rolling up of heavens and earth in your presence is, I would say, the recognition of the inferiority of the material realm and materialism and attachment to material values only uh, compared to um, the potential of, of the stairway to heaven and the way of freedom from death. Freedom from death is a big deal. Freedom from death means freedom from 3D recycling, period. Knowing your knowing true nature as divine, knowing it, not thinking it, knowing it. From thinking to knowing, and from knowing to living. Uh, and knowing and then living that reality um, leads to freedom from 3D recycling. And then, and then the entity, we uh, graduate to a higher dimension. And the end of 4D positive is nothing like the end of 3D incarnation. The death there is nothing compared to the big confusion and upset of this death physical here. So him, uh, for, for one who lives, uh, he who lives from in him who lives. Um, one who lives from and in accord with the living one, or Yeshua, or the principles of true spiritual awareness, spiritual path. One who lives from 
awareness of soul evolution and cosmic plan and the principles of, of transformation. One who lives in the way, in accord with the way. One who values Shila Samadhi and Prajna. One who values morality, virtue, and truth and honesty and development of mind, awareness, and um, insight, seeking insight into reality and, and true freedom. One who lives, one who values that won't die. They shall not, they shall see neither death nor fear. Shall see not death nor fear. Freedom from death, freedom from fear. This very important principle. Fear is in many ways the root distortion below grief and anger or desire. I mean, why is there desire and anger in the first place? Because there's a fear of being without them. Why? Um, why does um, uh, thirst, tana, lead to upadana, clinging, in the twelve nidanas of the paticca samupada, uh, dependent origination? Why? Why does uh, craving go to clinging? Craving, thirst, tana, clinging, upadana, attachment. Why? Why do we form attachment when we have craving? Because we have a fear of not uh, of, of remaining in the craving. There's the fear of remaining in the current condition. Thus, we fashion desire and aversion, aversion to get rid of something uh, or keep it away, and desire or greed or thirst or hung, you know really hunger, desiring, uh, grasping, uh, because we feel we can't continue in the current condition without. So I grasp because I don't have and I think I need, and I can't stand continuing not having. And I grasp to hold and keep because I can't stand and I, I'm afraid and I don't want to be without, so I have to keep grasping and holding and keeping. So grasping and aversion both arise out of fear. And fear is ultimately um, mundane avidya. There are two levels of avidya. <laughs> so uh, it all connects, you know, Yeshua was not a Buddhist. But Buddhist teaching and Yeshua's teaching uh, both um, present um, a wealth of uh, universal principles. Thus, uh, the one who lives goes beyond not only 3D incarnation death or the need to reincarnate in 3D, but also um, some degree of the root distortion, the root attachment called uh, fear or the uh, ignorance the, the fear, the, the root klesha, I would say, of fear being um, ordinary ignorance, which is some view that I, 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 I can't be well not having what I want or not getting rid of what I don't want. I can't be well this way with this craving. I can't be well this way. I must attach or get rid of. Um, anyway, um, living equals freedom from death and uh, freedom from fear. It's a big deal, actually. Yeshua says that him who finds himself, uh, the world is no longer worthy of him. And so you can say there's some superiority there, but actually there is higher and lower um, in the sense that, <laughs> you know, uh, the vibration of indigo is higher than the vibration of orange. It really is so. You don't have to call it better or worse, but there is higher and lower in terms of uh, functional development or functional capacity. But 
only some will know. 112, starting with Meyer. Yeshua said, Shame on the flesh that depends on the soul. Shame on the soul that depends on the flesh. <laughs> 112, Lambden. Woe to the flesh that depends on the soul. Woe to the soul that depends on the flesh. So we're talking about body and soul. And uh, we go to the interlinear. Says Yeshua, Woe to the flesh, this which depends on the soul. Woe to the soul which depends on the flesh. Now that that's so much more subtle than both uh, Mr. Meyer and Mr. Lambden's version because to say it's not exactly... Um, shame on the flesh that itself has to depend on soul. It's um, it's shame or woe to flesh itself as it or it that depends on soul. Woe to flesh this which depends on soul. Woe what is woe? Oh, the, the Greek is a oi, oi, O-U-O-E-I. Uh, no consonants there. Oi, oi, oi. Probably is whoa, right? Somebody said, that's too hard to say, so let's just put a W in there. Whoa. Whoa is like, um, you're going to die. You're, gonna, you, you're in bad shape, bro. Woe to you. You're going to suffer. You're suffering. You'll suffer more. Or it is of suffering um, <laughs> that which is woeful. The paths of woe. Buddhism, the three paths of woe are um, animal, hell, and hungry ghost. Where the agents go after they die. So the paths of woe are the three lower realms or associated with astral and 2D. Woe, woe to the flesh. Woe or suffering or it is a grievous condition being flesh being matter why um, not because it depends on the soul but because it's it dies it, it has no redemption possible the resurrection is not a resurrection of bodies it's a resurrection of mind consciousness energy field the body is is bound to die it's born to die it arises passes away no problem it's a vehicle it's a temporary vehicle and so um, the temporary vehicle is born to die, will die, which, um, because it depends on soul, because it depends on something higher, it doesn't have autonomy. Woe then on the soul, in this case meaning, I think, the person, the deluded human, who depends on their body. Woe to the soul, meaning the person, the entity, the person, the, the human being, uh, or being in the human realm, uh, depending on their body as um, seeking that you know it's seeking that which is of, of long long lasting benefit or long-term welfare and benefit there, there is a completely kind of amoral not moral no heavy-handed um, judgmentalism approach to what's called good and bad or sin and virtue that which is sinful ultimately is that which is going to hurt you and does not conduce to your long-term welfare and benefit. And that which is virtuous or good 
ultimately conduces to your own long-term welfare and benefit. If you want to help yourself, live love and truth. And now you can live on the negative path, but um, some people get screwed. The Duke of Halifax was born without a left hand and with a withered left arm. Why? I thought he was a silver stealer. I thought he was a man of great wealth and power, a real top-level fellow. Why was he born without a left hand and with a shriveled left arm? Why? Perhaps he was on the positive path? Oh, perhaps he was a positively oriented being at the base of his beingness, born into a super wealthy, insider, blue-blooded family, uh, and kept going. His very capable service-to-self activities. Um, but, but he was going on the wrong path. Hmm. That's kind of a problem. Woe to the soul which depends on the flesh. 113. His students said to him, When will the kingdom come? Yeshua said, It will not come because you are watching for it. No one will announce, Look, here it is, or look, there it is. The Father's kingdom is spread out upon the earth, and people do not see it. It's very lovely. So, it happened many times. Uh, the disciples asked, When will it come? the kingdom of heaven on earth which is different than the father's kingdom which is you know the kingdom is within kingdom of heaven is within and uh, I would say I obviously after dimensional shift we'll find the kingdom of heaven on earth the meek shall inherit the earth that's very easy to understand and so the the, the students are talking about an outer kingdom or a transformation a new heaven new earth transformation of the world and Yeshua puts them in their place and says, it's not going to come as the result of your seeking or watching. It won't be announced. Here it is, there it is. Then he says, um, the Father's kingdom now is spread out on the earth, now, and you don't see it. And so, the kingdom of heaven is within and spread out upon the earth too. It's within and without. It's not in a temple, but all that is, is the Father's kingdom too. So God is inside and outside. All is one. Therefore, um, the distinction of outside, insect or outside, inside, or object, subject, environment, and agent, that duality is um, illusory or a relative product of limited perception. Essentially, in unity, there is no outer inner, there is no self and other, there is self and other self. Then, the kingdom is not only within, it's also without, because there is no uh, hard wall of that, that distinguishes inner or outer or within or without. So, the kingdom is everywhere, but most people don't see it. 113, Lambden, we won't do a review here, but we'll conclude through 114 today. Uh, Lambda and his disciples said to him, quote, When will the kingdom come? Kingdom come. Jesus said, It will not come by waiting for it. It will not be a matter of saying, Here it is, or there it is. Rather, the kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the earth, and men do not see it. Men do not see it. People do not see it. <laughs> Meyer likes people. Lambda wrote men. Men, you know, men doesn't mean uh, male genitalia people. Men doesn't mean that. Men doesn't mean male. 
A man doesn't mean a male uh, general person. Male, man, means human. Human, the mankind, uh, of which male and female are simply subsets. Male and female are, are equally subordinate to mankind. The class, uh, you know, the category of male and female, man and woman, is subordinate to mankind. Both examples of mankind. And so when authors wrote man, they don't mean human male. They mean mankind. And of course, obviously, people today don't like that and don't want that because they like division. Because their hearts are growing cold with lovelessness. Uh, not all, not all, <laughs> but many. <laughs> Certainly the media presentation is uh, distortive. So the kingdom won't come by waiting for it because it's here now. It's spread out on the earth. Men don't see it now. 113 from Interlinear. Say they to him, his disciples, the sovereignty, it is coming on which day? <laughs> which day? It is coming, um, it is coming not in a looking forth. They shall say it not. So you see, yes, it wasn't really clear here where Jesus said. So, Meyer, who obviously believes himself a lot, um, didn't even indicate that the text didn't say Yeshua said, because he just uh, does what he thinks you need. Lambden, uh, because he has more accuracy and perhaps a bit more honesty to the text and respect for the text, added in a sort of kind of bracketing, Jesus said, it'll not come by waiting for it. So there you see one guy, um, you know, they're both um, presenting in their translation the meaning of the original. The meaning of the original is that Jesus said it won't come by waiting for it, or something like that. It won't come by waiting, watching for it. It doesn't come that way. But the text didn't say Jesus said. The text missed that. Uh, Meyer doesn't care, because he thinks you don't need to know that. Lambden does care and has, I think, a little bit more respect and wrote Jesus said in brackets, indicating it wasn't in the text. But we don't know that until we get to the interlinear. <laughs> I saw something recently, since I'm hard at work for you all, all the time, thinking about humanity in my pessimistic way, uh, the phrase, shocking degeneracy came to my mind. And then I did a Google search, quote, shocking degeneracy. Has anybody in this whole world, or at least online, at least picked up by Google online, wrote or uttered the phrase, shocking degeneracy? <laughs> uh, and so I found one person you know, online, at least one, there may be a couple, but I found only one main source that other, otherwise spoke the phrase, shocking degeneracy. And it's a particular translation of Flavius Josephus, who was a Roman soldier, translator, historian, I don't know translator, but historian, uh, about 1800 years ago. <laughs> he and me have the same view. However, it's only a particular translation of the whole works of Flavius Josephus, translated by Charles Clark, who was a scholar, I believe, of Greek and Latin, uh, in the eighteen early in the in the mid eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds. I'm sorry, the the eighteenth century, 
late 1700s, I believe it was like 1785. And he, talking about Noah and the time of Noah, chapter 3, book 1, God's judgment upon the wickedness of mankind, Noah building the ark and the genealogy and dot, dot, dot. Talking about the time of Noah, which we know is also considered akin to now or the time before the coming of the Son of Man, meaning dimensional shift, I'd say, and the saints come marching in, the end of 3D, the beginning of 4D, kingdom of heaven on earth, new heaven, new earth, the time of Noah being like now. And this translation of Flavius Josephus, talking about the Bible in the time of Noah, down the page, I'll send you the link. <laughs> this is what I do in my free time. Uh, thinking, who in the world has uttered, who's thought this phrase before me? Like, who's thinking, you know, who, who's thinking akin? Uh, this translation only has the phrase shocking degeneracy. And basically what it was, was um, uh, the, the phrase in book, th book 1, chapter 3, is Noah severely regretted the shocking degeneracy of the age and exerted his utmost endeavors to reclaim mankind from their iniquitous practices, but instead of effecting a reformation in their conduct, they became still more incorrigibly abandoned to their evil propensities, and apprehending that his efforts to dispose them to righteousness might excite them to wreak their vengeance upon him by assassinating him and his whole family as the most effectual means of preservation, he judged it prudent to depart from the country. Mm. And so, <laughs> meanwhile, a more famous translation of Flavius Josephus, this is, uh, you know, for scholars and uh, people who care about reality in detail, chapter 3, book 1, uh, what Charles Clark translated as Noah severely regretted the shocking degeneracy of the age. Somebody named William Whiston or something like that translated this as Noah was very uneasy with them. <laughs> That's how he translated this. Noah was very uneasy about it or very uneasy about them and the way they were. While the other guy is writing Noah severely regretted the shocking degeneracy of the age. Why? How could two, how could one text, I guess, in Latin, come up with two such different English translations? One is severely regretted the shocking degeneracy of the age, and the other one is something like Noah was very uneasy about it, about them being this way. Be careful, be careful, be careful with translators. So, 113, say they to him, the disciples, his disciples, the sovereignty it is coming on which day? It is coming not in a looking forth. They shall say it not. Behold this side, or behold that one. Rather, the sovereignty of the Father, it is spread forth upon the earth, and the humans are seeing not it. It's interesting that this term was humans. So, the original is not people, as um, Meyer put in. There is a difference between people and man. Man, again, doesn't have to mean male. Man means of mankind, if you understand. If you have eyes to see, 
And actually, it's a very deep word because the root of man, man is the root word mind. <clears throat> Proto-Indo-European, Sanskrit, manas, man, mun, means mind. The race of mankind means the race of self-conscious mind, which uh, some people are in the process of obscuring. So, <clears throat> the kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the earth, it's everywhere, and men the race of manas, the race of self-conscious mental human beings doesn't see what is here. And so the sovereignty won't come, it's not coming by seeking it. It comes in God's time. The end of this age comes at God's time. And that's not important, actually, or it's, it's important to, for our feeling <clears throat> but our path remains the same, whether we're here or there, or it's soon or later. Uh, behold, it's not if you say, behold, behold, lots of saying, lots of people are saying, oh, in August, the next big thing, August, oh, December 2016, oh, August 2017, oh, the beginning of 2019. So lots of people running around um, predicting. Uh, usually, almost always, it's wrong. Anyway, <clears throat> the sovereignty is uh, sovereignty of the Father is spread forth upon the earth, and humans, humans, uh, don't see it, are not seeing it, are seeing not. And so, <laughs> this this blindness, uh, spiritual blindness, was uh, well advanced two thousand years ago, as it is clearly today. And then finally, saying one fourteen. Uh, starting with Meyer to Lambden and then interlinear from Meyer Shimon Kepha said to them Miriam should leave us females are not worthy of life Yeshua said look I shall guide her to make her male so she too may become a living spirit resembling you males for every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Sounds like shocking, um, what's the word, um, misogyny? Shocking misogyny. Maybe it is. 114 from Lambden. Simon Peter said to him, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> now, is he implying every male, every every soul in a male gender body can't enter the kingdom of heaven? Obviously, that's completely wrong. So, uh, but you know, was this added later? Um, was this really what Yeshua said? I don't know. Was it symbolic? Probably. Um, was Jesus as terrible misogynist? I don't think so. I guess it could be. I'm not. So, um, but you know, it is common that there is a view, you know, misogynistic, patriarchal, uh, oppressive to woman view in religion. Yeah, very common. But it's not that simple also. So Gautama Buddha, um, strongly rejected entreaties initially for 
for the establishment of a of a sangha of commun- of nuns, the ordination of of women to nuns, strongly refused it until he was entreated too many times, and he said okay. Then he said, uh, "This will shorten the satdhamma, the proper dharma, for five hundred years." Not because women are the problem, but because men are the problem. <laughs> because uh, when there's an order of monks and nuns, it becomes more like a um, you know male-female social organization where the normal bonds um, cultivate naturally. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what what um, the sangha of those seeking to be free from birth and death is all about. Nothing's wrong with women. The problem is men can't handle women there, and the the longing for human you know intimacy which is totally normal and can be healthy and can be totally useful on the spiritual path is not what these sanghas were about this is not what that's about there's the dual cultivation path and there is the single sol- solitary cultivation path there's the path of the solitary monk or yogi or nun uh, and then there's a path that's more tantric or dual cultivation which is known in Hindu yoga, known in esoteric Buddhism, known in Chinese Taoism, fine. But that's not what they're, that's not what Yeshua or Gautama were offering originally. They were offering the solitary yogi, the solitary seeker path of celibacy, more or less, you know, and a real radical cutting away of um, desires and relationships with, um, you know, intimacy, sexuality, opposite sex, worldly ways, money, family. And so, okay, there are two ways on the positive path. Um, this notion of let Mary leave us, women are not worthy of life, is, you know, straight up women hating, and uh, not my position. But uh, is this symbolic or was it added later? Or were they terrible, gross misogynists? You choose for yourself. Go to the interlinear. Says Simon Peter, who is, um, Simon Peter is the you know, other version of Shimon Kepha. Uh, so Simon Peter, to them, let Mariam go forth from among us because the women are worthy not of the life, capital L. Um, says Yeshua, Behold, I myself, I shall attract her so that I shall make her male so that she will become also herself a spirit. He is living, becomes a spirit, he is living, Thus she may be resembling you, the males. For woman, every, she will make herself male, and she shall go into the sovereignty of the heavens. The gospel, the according to Thomas. That's the real conclusion. So, (laughs) um, Meyer dropped the conclusion, because he just does his own thing. Lambden wrote the Gospel according to Thomas, and the interlinear shows the Gospel, the according to Thomas. So, after 114, I guess, there was this, um, you know, additional conclusion. Um, Now, I can't say, again, whether these guys were rank misogynists and woman-haters, maybe so, or this is symbolic-coded. Or, this was added later by somebody who is a misogynist and wanted to, you know, put that in here. Because 
Gautama, you know, <laughs> there were lots and lots of women disciples who achieved a, t a complete and perfect enlightenment with Gautama, so he wasn't against women. And Yeshua, you know, seemed to have a very positive relationship with women around. And um, who knows, he maybe even married uh, Mary Magdalene and had children. Maybe. So I don't think he's a rank material uh, misogynist. Uh, what's happening here, I can't say for sure. But there is also in the notion, in Buddhism, there was a notion later that women can't achieve complete and perfect enlightenment. This came in Mahayana, <laughs> not Theravada. And um, yet the original community showed many women achieving Nibban. Uh, but there was a notion in, you see this even with Shan Hua, Master Hua of Chinese Buddhism, women have to become reborn as a male to become enlightened. You can't achieve complete and perfect enlightenment in a female body. I don't think that's the case, metaphysically. Um, but, um, I mean, obviously it's not the case. <laughs> Some women achieved it at the time of Gautama, period. And Yeshua didn't have any misogyny going on, it seemed, in the community. But who knows? And yet, then it could be symbolic. What is the difference between male and female? Male is the yang, female the yin. Male is... Um, more associated with um, moving forward and going out and the female with the receptive. So receptive, transmissive, receptive, active, or receptive um, and initiatory. Male, yang, obviously not a male quality, but the quality of yang is initiatic, to move forth, to go forth, like the Sagittarian arrow while the female quality, or yin, is the reception, uh, 246 line, rather than 1357. So it, there is some truth to the, to the reality, to, truth to the, I, I think, the fact or the, the phenomenon that more men become yogis than women throughout history, okay? It's probably 10 to 1, or 50 to 1, number of men versus number of women that become full-fledged renunciates in every any religious tradition throughout history it's probably a hundred to one okay so why because religions are patriarchal misogynistic maybe um obviously they probably you know kicked women out and were and were oppressive of course and um, women may be far less or souls in female bodies which we call women may be far less interested in such a lifestyle understandably most people are not so there's a lot going on here but um, Yeshua also seems to be saying the same kind of uh, Mahayanist view that she's got to become male I'll make her male so she becomes a spirit uh, a living spirit and resemble you other males um, it's sort of a it's sort of a confused way of ending the Gospel of Thomas I have to say it's a letdown or a um, dissonant note here at the end of the of the sutra um, because it's very shallow but but the making you know if, if it's a misogynistic political position then it's pretty uh, sad but if it's symbolic which it certainly can be um, it's certainly confusing but there is certainly a difference between yin and yang and complete and perfect enlightenment does require a lot of yang um, it's not only surrendering to the divine, but discipline and a whole lot of effort, virya, um, will, 
uh, to keep going. And uh, Shiva is the god of yogis in, in the Hindu view. Which, and Shiva is associated with destruction. And women are associated with creation and birth. Although today, lots of women don't, don't know what that is. But um, the yin is associated with fertility and giving forth new life, obviously. And the yang is very much associated with um, um, going forth and um, kind of seeding, seeding um, the yin, or the, the uh, moving forward. Um, Ron talked about this, I forgot the phrase, but it was some kind of impelling force versus receptive um, matrix. Female is a receptive field, and the male, or yang, as um, impelling impelled force moving forward seeding fields that quality of 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 effort uh surely is needed on the on the spiritual path if you want complete perfect enlightenment in the human form if you want little by little that's not not necessary but if you want real breakthrough there's a lot of killing and breaking through breaking through to new conditions of mind or new awareness associated with putting to death um, attachments and clinging and old patterns that are unhelpful. So that's um, not a female, fertile, generative type activity. Anyway, um, perhaps here at the end what we see is the need to um, make strong effort if you wish gnosis. And so reading about things, reading spirituality is helpful. But um, there's study, meditation, and service. Study is a lot easier than meditation. And even service and study may be easier than meditation. And there are very few spiritually minded people who do practice. Practice is difficult. Facing pain. And it requires the young um, deployment of energy and will and virya. Vril. Virya, same root, Sanskrit, um, of power and will uh, to keep going on the path. So that is a that is an interesting way of looking at it. Next week, uh, I'm going to do an overview of the whole gospel, and then we'll complete it. And so next week, uh, I will do a full read through. I'm not sure which version. They're all. They all have their pluses and minuses. But I'll do a complete read-through of the Gospel of Thomas, and then we'll move on, or move to the end of the Gnostic studies. So anyway, thank you very much. I hope it was helpful. Please take good care of yourselves, and good night.